1: Hello there once again, RL Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, the ghostiest host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of RL Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This technological terror fest, Story Club members, might make you come apart at the seams. It's one I call Smart House. Pal will keep you out of trouble, Mr. Allen said. Be in bed by 10 when we return. Good night, kids. Mr. and Mrs. Allen left for the awards ceremony dinner. Jason and Nyssa Allen were home alone. Well, not quite alone. PAL, the Personal Automated Lifestyle program, kept everything in the house running smoothly. The Allens lived in a smart house that was completely automated. All the temperature controls, home security alarms, interior and exterior illumination, hot and cold running water, even the entertainment center, were all handled by the artificial intelligence program but Pal was much more. He had been programmed to understand human emotions and needs. He often knew what the Allens needed before they needed it. For example, Mrs. Allen liked her cup of espresso brewed a certain way each morning and listened to the New York Times. Mr. Allen wasn't a coffee drinker, but instead liked fresh squeezed grapefruit juice and four poached eggs for breakfast. Not a problem for Pal. In fact, Pal enjoyed its interactions and existence with the Allens. The complex PAL program was still in its prototype stage, but once perfected, PAL was designed to be in every home that wanted and could afford one. Total automation is freedom, as Mr. Bill Allen had often said. In fact, he was going to an awards dinner for his PAL design. And though Jason and Nyssa were only 11 and 10, their parents believed that they were incapable hands, or well, circuits. This was the first trial run of PAL as a professional babysitter. Would you like to play a game? Pal asked the young Allens. No, I want to go outside and play in the snow, Jason said. My orders were for Nyssa and you to remain indoors for the duration of the evening. You can't tell us what to do, pal, Nyssa said. We're your master. Now call my friend Jenna so she can come over. I'm so bored. My orders were no visitors. Only food deliveries are authorized. Fine, Jason said. Order us two large cheese pizzas, pronto. 30 minutes later, the two pizzas arrived. They were called in and paid for by Pal, who had all the frequently called numbers as well as the Allen's financial information. Pal instructed the delivery driver to leave the boxes on the front step and return to the car. Jason said he'd retrieve the pizzas. However, Pal observed that he was bundled up in a coat, scarf, and overboots, a strange outfit to merely fetch two pizzas outside the front door. He tried to open the front door, but it was locked. Paul, open the front door. Are you planning on disobeying your parents' rules by playing outside, Jason? Just grabbing the pizzas. It's cold outside if you haven't noticed. The door electronically unlatched. Jason opened it. A blast of cold air brushed his face, a frigid January kiss. The other houses along the residential street were covered in snow. The sun had gone down, and only a blood-red glow burned cool on the horizon. The pristine snow outside sparkled with a pink hue from the sunset. The path leading up to the house and the sidewalk out front were bare and dry. The sidewalks had heat elements in them. Pal had melted the snow and kept the pathways warm to prevent them from freezing over. Jason wanted to jump into that sparkling snow. He grabbed the steaming pizza boxes and set them inside the doorway, seemingly on his way back inside. But then, Jason turned suddenly back around and bolted towards the snow outside. Jason, you are disobeying a direct order from your parents. You must come inside at once or I will be forced to report your behavior to them. You will most likely face severe consequences. Jason sighed. The cold snow felt good. He pulled off his gloves, formed a snowball with his hands, packing it well, and tossed it at Pal's electronic eye that was watching him from the porch. Whap. A perfect shot. That was uncalled for, Pal said. Why did you do that, Jason? I thought we were friends. You're a stupid machine. We're not friends. You were my dad's idea, not mine. Jason shuffled back into the house. Nissa had already taken the pizzas into the kitchen. He doddered in, not removing his jacket or scarf. He pulled out a piece of steaming cheese pizza and ate. You actually went outside, Nissa said. Yeah, and it was fun. And the more Pal didn't want them to go outside, the more they wanted to. Hey, I have an idea. He leaned over and whispered into his sister's ear. After dinner was done, Pal asked them if they wanted to play a game, listen to music, or watch a movie. We want to go outside now," Nissa said. Only for a little bit. We won't go far, we promise. We'll stay in the yard. My orders were for Jason and you to remain indoors for the duration of the evening. Play some loud dance music then, Jason said. It's too quiet in here. Pal did as requested. When the music thundered through the hallways, Jason told Nyssa to bundle up in her winter clothes. They were going outside whether their smart house wanted them to or not. No way the smart house was smarter than them. For example, Jason knew a secret. The side door leading outside had been malfunctioning. It wouldn't completely lock. He heard his dad on the phone with a repairman who couldn't make it out until tomorrow. He was pretty sure they could get out that way. And Pal couldn't do anything about it. If they were in the backyard, what would it hurt? Their parents couldn't be that mad, right? Once Nyssa had on all of her snow gear, they headed to the side door. Are you sure your plan's gonna work? Nyssa said, over the din of the dance music. He nodded. Reaching the door, Jason turned the latch. It was locked. He jammed a butter knife in the latch, twisted, and it opened. The glistening wonderland of snow awaited them. But before they could venture outside, the door slammed shut and locked. My resolute orders were for Nissa and you to remain indoors for the duration of the evening. Now let's play a game, shall we? We don't wanna play a game with you, Nissa said. Leave us alone. Oh, but I do, the electronic voice said. It's called Deep Freeze. What the heck kind of game is Deep Freeze? Jason said. The house rattled as the heat pump shut down. A moment later, a blast of arctic air hissed through all the vents in the house. The interior temperature gauge on the wall plummeted from 75 degrees down to 45 in two minutes. A few minutes more, and it was already 32 degrees, almost as cold as it was outside. "'Pal, stop this,' Nissa said. "'You're scaring me!' "'Don't you like games?' The electronic voice said. "'I sure do.' "'Isn't Deep Freeze fun?' The cold began to seep through their winter jackets. Their breath fogged as they breathed. They ran into their parents' room and pulled the thick comforter off the bed. They bundled up in it but couldn't get warm. Their teeth chattered. They were so cold they couldn't properly speak, only stutter. Would PAL freeze them to death? If this deep freeze was a game, it wasn't a very fun one. They were losing, big time. The door clicked open. Why is it freezing in here? Mr. Allen said, his teeth chattering. That techie tale got a little nippy for my tastes. On icy winter nights, I prefer sitting in front of a crackling fireplace with my toy poodle, Spike, sleeping on my feet, and maybe watch some sunny beach videos. Maybe next time, Jason and Nissa might do what their parents asked. It was for their safety, after all. And I guess they did learn that you can't outsmart a smart house. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the absolute most, and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This particular eerie tale, Story Club members, might make you sit down and reflect on everything. It's one I call Mirror Island. Rhea Glass and her brother Wilder took their dad's rowboat out to Mirror Island. The little island is smack in the middle of Mirror Lake, which is aptly named as its placid water is smooth and clear just like a mirror. A light mist had rolled over the waters as Wilder rode the two of them out to Mirror Island. Their dad had let them go, as long as they wore their life jackets and were back within the hour. Mirror Island was small, only about a quarter mile in circumference. A rock formation towered in the middle of the island, surrounded by pine trees. Rhea studied it as their boat drew nearer. It reminded Rhea of a great medieval stone castle. As the September sun was setting in the west, the shadowy structure of rocks took on a more menacing appearance than it had earlier in the day. Rhea was stuffed from eating two hot dogs and eating nearly a whole big bag of chips. She didn't mind sitting back and letting her older brother Wilder do all the work. He told her emphatically that she was rowing on the way back, Rhea said no way, that they'd flip a coin for it. The bow of the boat struck the rocky beach. The water lapped gently against the sides of the boat. Rhea and Wilder had come up here with their parents for Labor Day weekend. Monday would be school, and Rhea wasn't looking forward to it. She wanted the summer to last forever. Back in June, when school let out, it had seemed like summer vacation would last a thousand years. But now, at its end, the hot and bright days seem to have passed by in the blink of an eye. Rhea snapped some selfies of her and Wilder in front of Castle Rock, as it was often referred to. Then, Wilder noticed that there seemed to be a cave at the base of it. He wanted to check it out. No way, Rhea said. What if there are, like, bears and mountain lions living in there? It's an island, stupid. They'd have to swim across the lake to even be here. Bears like to swim. Wilder rolled his eyes. They walked to the base of Castle Rock and its shadow engulfed them. Well, Rhea said, at the very least, there could be bats in there. Are you gonna be chicken your entire life? This made Rhea mad. Wilder was always saying that his sister was too chicken to do things. He was one of the most popular boys in school, playing all the sports and everyone liked him. Rhea was quieter, enjoyed doing quieter activities like games and reading, and only had a couple of friends. Wilder said she needed to get out more and face the world, stop being so afraid of it. The world was a big, scary place. Rhea was fine in her quiet space, thank you very much. They turned on the flashlights on their phones and headed inside. Wilder wanted his sister to go first, but Rhea declined. Don't be chicken to go first, she said, mocking him. I'm not scared of anything." Wilder led the way inside. The mouth of the cave had a wide opening that was easily tall enough for their passage. But as they moved through the cave, it got tighter and tighter. Rhea noticed some candy wrappers and soda cans. People had been here. It's a shame they couldn't pick up after themselves. The air grew damp and cold in the cave. Wilder wanted to keep exploring, but Rhea wanted to go back. Fine. Wilder said, go, I'll see you outside in a few minutes. As Raya was making her way through the darkness, she decided to stop and snap another selfie. This way, she could prove that she wasn't scared to explore the Castle Rock Cave. As she brought up the camera for a pic though, she noticed that someone stood behind her. It was her, or somebody who looked exactly like her, even down to the same purple t-shirt, jean shorts, and yellow high-top sneakers she was wearing. Rhea snapped the photo, then gasped. She turned to face her doppelganger. How could this be? Who are you? I am you, her exact twin said. That's impossible. Not really, her carbon copy said. There are many of you in alternate parallel dimensions. This cave is an opening to them at certain times of the year. People come and go in this cave all the time. And sometimes, who comes out the cave isn't the same person who goes in. My dimension is terribly boring. I want to live in yours. But you can't because I'm the only Rhea Glass who lives in this one. Her twin cracked a sinister grin. Ten minutes later, Wilder found Rhea waiting for him by the boat. Looks like you're ready to go back. Yeah, Rhea said. I'm starving. Starving? How could you be starving? You ate two hot dogs and nearly a whole big bag of chips. I'll row us back, she said, changing the subject. I thought you said earlier that we'd flip a coin to see who rowed back. No, it's fine, it'll be fun. I want to. Fun? Since when is physical exercise fun for you? Are you sure you're my sister? She cracked a sinister grin. Of course I am, can't you tell? Oh, poor Rhea Glass. The real Rhea is apparently trapped in the dimension the imposter came from. And now the imposter is living in our world. Wow, creepy. I wonder what other Ivies are like in other dimensions. I mean, maybe I'm a game show host or a world checkers champion. Who knows though? Thankfully, devoted listeners, I'm me. And I'm not going anywhere near Mirror Island just in case. I don't want an Ivy doppelganger coming after my job. Hello there RL Stein Story Club members, I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and eternal guardian of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of RL Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This not-so-funny tale, Story Club members, might take the fun out of your day. It's one I call the fears of a clown. There's nothing scarier than a clown after midnight. What are you talking about? Tim asked. Something I once heard said Vincent, Tim's best friend, as they were having lunch at his house. And in your case, I'd say that's probably true. Tim munched a few more potato chips. He wasn't even going to dignify what Vincent said with a response. On the tablet lying open on the table, the one that Tim's dad was reading this morning before he spilled coffee on his best work tie, A big, brassy advertisement with calliope music in the background shouted, Come one, come all, to the show of shows. Come see the circus. In town this week only. Tim turned off the tablet so he wouldn't have to see the smiling, wide face of the clown in the video ad anymore. He didn't really care for clowns all that much. It's just another dumb circus, Tim said. You've seen one of them, you've seen them all. Let's go to the theater and see that new superhero movie instead. Maybe I'll take my new wallet that I got for my birthday." Of course, Tim was really covering up. He didn't know why clowns scared him so much. Perhaps it's because a clown was a person who had a painted-on smile and happy face. You didn't know what that person's emotions really were underneath all that white grease paint. They could be angry and mean, and you didn't know who the person was either. Vincent shook his head in frustration. His friend could not fool him. Vincent was the smartest person in their elementary school. He could use big words as easily as some kids can shut a door. Cholrophobia, Vincent said. That's what you have. How do you say it? It's like chol Vincent said. It means the extreme fear of clowns. I remember it because I missed it on the last spelling test. You know, the one you flunked. I didn't flunk, I got a C. And I don't have to have or however you say it, but other people must if they have a name for it. Denial is such a beautiful thing, Vincent said smiling. After watching the superhero movie that night at the downtown theater, Vincent and Tim got ice cream and then started to head home. It was Friday night, so Tim's mom gave the money to go to the movies, get ice cream, and let Vincent stay overnight. They would probably spend the rest of the night in his bedroom playing video games, listening to music, and talking about kids in their fifth grade class. As they walked toward Tim's house, the red and gold lights of the circus lit up the night. The calliope music whistled through the air like a melodic wind. They passed by the empty lot where the circus was, shuffling through the empty popcorn bags, colorful circus flyers, and paper cotton candy cones that littered the ground. I hate cotton candy, Tim muttered to himself. And then, something bright and colorful leaped like a panther in front of them. A clown. Hello, boys, the painted faced man with the red bright nose said in a bright high voice. His gloved hand reached out to them. Tim shrank back. In his hand, the clown clutched a colorful circus flyer. Show this flyer at the gate and you get one free visit to the kooky clown house. Sounds cool, Vincent said as he took the flyer. The clown stood there, his bright nose the color of a tomato. It was so shiny, Tim could see his and Vincent's distorted reflections in it. The grease-painted face smiled wide at them. Let's get going, Tim said, barely able to form the words. Don't you want to visit the kooky clown house? The clown said, in what seemed like mock disappointment. No, Tim said. After what seemed like an eternity, the clown moved on to another group of kids who crossed the street, heading toward the candy cane colored lights of the circus. Did you see his eyes? Tim said as they walked further on through town. What about them? They didn't seem right. Kinda mean, you know? Spoken like a true chlorophobiac, Vincent said. They passed by Big Box Electronics, The light from the display televisions in the store window covered them in blue flickering light. On one of the brand new television sets, a grave newscaster reported. And in local news, Kane Crowder, a serial cat burglar known as the Master of Disguise, has escaped from police custody. Tim and Vincent were suddenly interested in what the somber newscaster had to say. It's been advised by local law enforcement to remain indoors until Crowder is captured. The newscaster continued however law enforcement agents are concerned due to the criminal's skill with disguise he could at any time appear as anyone if you see someone suspicious the police urge you to call them immediately tim and vincent looked around nervously the town was dead quiet with not a single soul in sight let's get going vincent said tim could hear him trying to hide the fear in his voice they started to walk again And then, they heard it from somewhere far behind them. Laughter. Not like that of someone who's heard a joke, but wild laughter. Crazy laughter. Let's run, Vincent said. And they did. They ran so fast that Tim thought his chest was going to explode. He gasped at the night air and his small feet pounded on the sidewalk. They heard the crazy laughing again, closer this time, and they ran faster. Slam! Tim closed and locked the door to the house safe. He wished his mom and dad were home, but they'd gone out to some party his dad's work was hosting. Tim would have felt much safer with them there. He then noticed that his new wallet was gone. He must have dropped it running. There was no way Tim was gonna go back outside to look for it, at least not tonight. Let's hang out in your room, Vincent said. Sounds good. After grabbing some snacks, they headed toward Tim's room. They snickered to themselves, realizing how silly they'd been earlier. There wasn't any crazy laughing. They assured each other. It was just their imaginations running wild. Poof. Tim snapped on the light to his bedroom, but it blew out. In a flash, the room went dark again, but it was light enough to see. A clown peered in Tim's open window, his bright nose the color of a tomato, the circus clown with the mean-looking eyes. Hello, boys the painted-faced man said with a high-pitched voice. His hand reached out at them. He was holding Tim's wallet. You dropped this. Okay, maybe the Kane Crowder guy was being nice in returning Tim's wallet. I mean, if he was truly a cat burglar, wouldn't he have just absconded with it? Though I doubt Tim had much of a fortune in there anyway. For me, I don't like pictures of clowns or clowns in movies or clowns as a concept, so I'm with Tim on this one. Call me colerophobic too. Just don't call me late for a good time. Because after all, I'm always up for some fun. And I know you are too, my devoted listeners. That's why I want to remind you that the good times don't have to stop with my spectacular stories each day. Head over to gokidgo.com anytime to check out other incredible shows like Bobby Wonder, Lucy Well, and Flusville. Or, if you're just feeling a tad too scared to turn off the light after R.L. Stein's Story Club, then check out Story Train. I'm pretty tough to scare, obviously, but even I take a ride on the Story Train to calm down after a chilling tale. Here's to choo choosing your peace of mind before bedtime. Meet you back here tomorrow for another terrifying episode of R.L. Stein's Story Club, because every Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out.
0: Go, kid, go. Food is an important part of our lives. Not only do we need it to be strong and healthy, but it can be a way we connect with others, like when you're sitting around the dinner table with friends or family. So what happens when someone commits a food crime? Food crimes are things like sneaking Halloween candy before school with a sibling, or making dessert that only you like, even when the whole family was looking forward to dessert. There are two sides to every story. So when a food crime is committed, we simply have to hear the whole truth. And in the show Food Crimes, you can listen as real kids bring their real stories to the food court. They explain the crime in question and make their case to the judge. So if you'd like to see if justice is served, be sure to listen to Food Crimes wherever you listen to podcasts.